Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, everyone. A lot of BNF clients are strategists. They wear many hats, but put simply, they are responsible for understanding current and future market conditions to help guide the direction of their companies in the near and long term. They do analysis, they make recommendations. And to do this, they need data. So a bit of context, as I mentioned before, I run the product for BNF. So what that means is my team and I look after the delivery of BNF content, data, and tools across BNF.com, the BNF mobile app, and the Bloomberg terminal. As part of this, I do a lot of client interviews. In these interviews, I often ask the question, what data set do you need most? Well, the answers vary, but the first answer is almost always PPA prices, or prices for power purchase agreements. But a close second is battery prices. Batteries, for stationary storage, are a complement to wind and solar power. And of course, they're critical for electric vehicles. To make recommendations on anything having to do with these areas, strategists need to know the price now and what it's expected to be in the future. Today, we'll talk with James Frith, who leads our coverage of the battery supply chain, about our latest annual battery price survey in a report titled 2019 Lithium-Ion Battery Price Survey. BNF users can find this report on BNF.com, the BNF mobile app, and the Bloomberg Terminal. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear a full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, here with Dana Perkins, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNF podcast. Hey, James. Hey, Mark. Hey, Dana. Thanks for coming in. Can you start us off with a bit about why we started doing the battery price survey, how we do it, and what clients are using it for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the battery price survey is key to a lot of the work that we do at Bloomberg NEF. If you look at, for example, electric vehicles, right, what people always want to know is when can I get an EV? It's too expensive at the moment. One of the underlying you know, factors about the cost competitiveness of electric vehicles is how much does the battery cost? And so what's the price of the battery in that EV? And so that's kind of one of the main drivers for doing the battery price survey. On top of that, you then have things like stationary storage, which, you know, I don't go home and talk to my family about stationary storage. They don't ask me about that part of the job. But again, lots of our clients are super interested in that. Stationary storage will enable the next kind of build out of renewable energy generation. It'll help to avoid curtailment. And again, one of the key factors there is what's the cost or the price of batteries going into those systems. How about consumer electronics? I mean, consumer electronics have been really important for getting to where we are today. It's in 2019, actually, that electric vehicles overtook consumer electronics as the largest demand area for lithium-ion batteries. Before that, it was always consumer electronics. But there's a slight difference between what you see in the EV market and what you see in the consumer electronics market, right? For EVs, as I said, at the moment, it's really about reducing that price. Um, whereas for consumer electronics, the price isn't as important. You know, your iPhone probably costs you £1,000 more than that nowadays. The battery is a small proportion of that. If they go for a slightly more expensive battery, you're not necessarily going to um, notice that. But with EVs, it's the opposite. They're trying to get 
battery prices down as far as possible to make so the, the cost of the EV better. So the price of the battery is the price of the car. Yes, I mean, like, I mean, biggest factor in that. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about the survey just a little bit. Some basics around it. The units for the price of the battery is dollars per megawatt hour. Can you explain why that is? Yeah, definitely. And I guess a lot of the listeners on this who are used to working with renewables will be thinking in dollars per megawatt, or if they hear kind of dollars per kilowatt hour or megawatt hour, will think of LCOEs. But it's slightly different for a battery, right? If you have wind or solar, you're talking about the maximum amount of power that you can generate at any one time. So that's your megawatts. For batteries, it's more about um, how much energy you can store. So it's the megawatt hours. How long can you store that megawatt for? If you have one with more megawatt hours in there, it's essentially a greater driving range. And so it's really about how much you're bringing down the cost of storing that energy rather than the cost of kind of producing that power. There are some applications where that is slightly different. So for hybrid electric vehicles, not ones where you have a plug, you know, just your Toyota Prius type of thing. Actually, there, a lot of people think of in dollars per kilowatt. But for battery electric vehicles, for stationary storage, for plug-in hybrid electric vehicles, it's dollars per kilowatt hour that everyone's interested in. And that's the kind of key metric to go with. For cell manufacturers, a lot of money goes into this innovation. It's a pretty competitive space. How much money do they spend on this and how much work really goes into it? Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at the big uh, manufacturers working on this, it ends up being about 7% of their spending each year, right? They're putting massive amounts of money into this. And there's a number of different kind of areas that they're focusing on. As I've mentioned, kind of price or cost is the key thing there, trying to reduce that cost of manufacturing that battery and reduce the kind of price that you're selling it at. But there's also lots of kind of performance characteristics that are becoming increasingly important, right? So the number of cycles that your battery can do is one of the key ones as well. You want to have a cheap battery, but if it can only last three years and then your new EV is dead, that's not going to work, right? So it has to have a long cycle life as well. It has to have high safety. And increasingly, as the price of batteries come down and we reach price parity between electric vehicles and internal combustion engines, we expect that manufacturers will start optimizing for some of these other metrics. So one of the key ones that we've already seen announcements around is Daimler. Their next range of EVs, the EQ range, they want to have carbon neutral batteries. Now that's potentially going to cost a bit more money than just a normal battery. But because they're kind of vehicles are slightly higher end, they're reaching price parity earlier, they can start optimizing for that other metric. How does that work? What is a carbon neutral battery? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. So they haven't come out and uh, explained how they're going to do that yet. I imagine for the actual manufacturing of the, the batteries themselves, you'll be looking at renewable energy, um, PPAs, as you mentioned earlier. But there'll also have to be some carbon offsetting. If you're shipping in sure. lithium from South America or Australia, at the moment you can't get electric shipping, green shipping. So you're going to have to offset some CO2 somehow. We did an episode a while back with you and Logan Goldie-Scott where we already explored the concept of low emissions EVs, that they are actually lower emissions than, than internal combustion engine vehicles. Even if plugged into a coal grid. Exactly. So Indeed. if anybody out there wants to go listen to that, you can find it wherever you listen to our podcast. Can we go back to the price itself? So you mentioned last year in the survey that it went down 13%. Right, down to, what was the number last year? $156 per kilowatt hour in 2019. Go. Okay, and then before that, it was an 18% drop. And the year before that, it was a 26% drop. So that seems to be less and less every year. Are we reaching a floor? Is there a floor? How's it work? 
Yeah, so it's an interesting question again. And it's not that there's a flaw, it's that it's uh, an asymptote. Okay. Um, so what we're seeing, the way we look at battery prices is we use what we call an experience model, mm -hmm. experience curve to model the, the price declines. Um, and that tells us that every time the cumulative volume of batteries deployed into the market doubles, prices fall by 18%. So we have what we call an 18% learning rate. And what you're seeing year on year is that actually to double the number of batteries on the market becomes that little bit harder. So actually, although our learning rate is still 18%, year on year decreases might not be as high because you know rather than doubling the number of batteries deployed, actually you're only increasing it by 1.8 times or 1.6 times, et cetera. Now, when you do your survey, it's talking to people, right? You're asking people what their price is. Are you finding that the numbers they give you match your 18% learning rate? Yeah, so I, another good question, and this is one that we always get challenged on. Well, firstly, do we trust the answers that we're being, that we're being given? Do you? Um, yeah, we do. So one of the things that we do is we're not just talking to the automakers, asking them how much they're buying batteries for. We're also talking to the cell manufacturers or the pack manufacturers as well, asking uh -huh. them how much they're selling for. And thankfully, both of these numbers tend to match up each year, <laughs> which is good. But yeah, so the kind of answers that they're giving us and what we've seen over the last three or four years um, does match up with that 18% learning rate. Some years it's slightly higher, some years it's a little bit lower, but in general it is sticking to that. So you're a battery manufacturer. What does it take to be successful in this space and to be competitive? Because you can pour all the R&D that you want in there, but you've got to know what you're looking for and trying to optimize. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that I think are kind of key to being successful. One is having a name that people trust. Um, and this is something that we've seen uh, a couple of times, you know, in, in the stationary storage industry, for example, if you go and talk to developers and you ask them, uh, you give them a list of battery manufacturers and, uh, you know, say the top 20 manufacturers based on capacity and you ask them how many of them are viewed as being bankable. Actually, you come away with kind of four or five top tier ones where people say, actually, all of these are bankable. And then as you go down the list, you know, that starts to waver with some people saying, I'm not sure about this manufacturer. So, Wait, so that trust presumably is built up over time, but this is reasonably new technology. So how do they earn that trust? I guess, yeah, there's definitely some first mover advantage in there, right? And working with these companies, getting in there early, securing orders from them, providing those batteries and showing that actually over the, you know, the last 10 years, their batteries have performed as they've said they would. And that is really key. And there's a number of companies that are there that are trustworthy. We published our tier list for battery manufacturers last year. And you have companies up there that are, you know, at the top, like CATL from China, LG Chem from South Korea. You also have Samsung SDI, SK Innovation from Korea, as well as companies like, you know, Tesla, Panasonic, obviously, who are one of the largest manufacturers out there. One of the things in the note that really struck me was a line you had about automakers skipping the middleman for now, these trusted manufacturers you just mentioned, and going straight to commodity suppliers and securing supply of these battery materials. And then they go back to the manufacturer and ask them to make the batteries with those materials. Is that right? Yeah, so that's right. So we, well, I say we got ourselves into a situation, the industry got itself into a <laughs> situation two or three years ago where commodity prices suddenly hiked, you know, particularly lithium and cobalt. And back then, 2017, what was happening was your battery manufacturer, your CATL, your LG Chem, they would buy the materials from the miners and they would build the batteries, but they would have agreed a price with the automaker. 
Okay. But suddenly they found that actually the material prices were skyrocketing. So they had to pass that price onto the automaker. And the automaker suddenly found that their battery cells were much more expensive than they were originally told. So now to try and um, provide themselves with a bit more transparency on what's going to happen to material prices, automakers are going directly to the miners, signing contracts with them that are generally reviewed every six months and adjusted based on spot prices. But by doing that, by securing that material, it means that the automakers can, um, you know, hedge for material price changes, right? So they're not at risk of kind of suddenly prices hiking. So you're saying it's not just transparency on their balance sheet, but it's actually, are they getting better prices than the battery manufacturers themselves were getting? I wouldn't say that they're necessarily getting better prices. Uh, you know, there certainly could be an advantage if you're a company like VW and suddenly you're buying material for your entire product line. Well, they've got a but big order, but, but the battery manufacturers are going to have an even bigger order, right? Because they're going to have all those from VW and then all of the other manuf- or all the other companies that they're buying for. So I would think that that would have some economic benefit, but you're saying actually the automakers want to go direct. I mean, there the probably is some economic benefit, as you say, you know, you've got these massive orders, but there's also some uncertainty there as well for the battery manufacturer, right? So if I'm a big automaker and I go to the battery cell manufacturer and I say, next year I'm going to sell a million auto, a million EVs, um, and then next year comes around and actually I decide that I'm going to slash that output because the market's not there yet. But the battery manufacturer's already gone and ordered all that raw material. Suddenly he's left with a stockpile of stuff that he can't get rid of. So actually for the battery manufacturer themselves as well, it makes sense for them to then shift that onto the uh, the automaker. So we've seen that commodities are a important part of the consideration in terms of what goes into the cost, but there are a lot of things to think about. So when we're looking at pack prices, and this is something that actually comes up, we have a, a battery cost model, which your team made. And in there, it says that you know we can theoretically extrapolate out what the actual price is at the end if you take into consideration a couple of things. Could you go into detail what those different components are that ultimately come up with the final price that you, the vehicle manufacturer, end up seeing? Yeah, definitely. So if we look at the pack itself, so that's the, the pack price is what I mentioned earlier, that $156 per kilowatt hour. That's what it's being sold for. What you then have to consider if you're a battery manufacturer, you then have to take off the kind of soft costs associated with that. So your sales and marketing, your R&D expenditure, um, your margin as well. And that's uh, kind of, I think, has been a hotly debated um, topic over the last couple of years, but maybe we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, So if you take off those kind of soft costs, what you're left with is the material and the manufacturing costs, right? And that can be split into two, the materials and manufacturing costs of producing your the pack, and that accounts for about 30% of the total cost, roughly. Um, and then within that, or kind of beneath that, you have the cell cost. And the cell accounts for about 70% of the total cost of a battery pack. And then again, linking back to the commodities, actually within that cell, about over 50% of those costs are down to the materials going into that. So that's not necessarily just the cathode active materials. There's other materials like the current collectors, the cell housing, the connecting wires, etc. But... Materials are a big, big cost input for battery cells and packs. Okay, I've got to know, why are margins hotly debated? These companies are all in business to make money. Yeah, they're in business to make money. And the question is, are they making money? And that's the question that we always Mm. get. Um, You know, particularly when people see how low battery prices are and how they can 
keep declining? We always get that question, how are companies making money here? And there's a couple of, you know, there's a couple of different areas to touch on here. One is that actually using our bottom-up cost model that you mentioned earlier, when we do that calculation, we find that depending on the level of R&D investment um, that manufacturers are putting in, their sales and marketing expenditure, et cetera, they can be making up to about 15% margin on the battery packs that they're selling into the market. So that's one consideration. There can be margins to made there, depending what your investment is and your R&D expenditure, et cetera. But the other one is that they're not just selling batteries into the battery electric vehicle market. There are lots of other industries out there. There's the commercial electric vehicle market. There's a stationary storage market, which we mentioned earlier. There's even things like uh, commercial shipping market, right? Adding batteries to ships crossing fjords in Norway. And in a lot of these other areas, you know, particularly commercial and stationary storage, the cost of battery packs or racks going into those are much higher than they are for battery electric vehicles. And in those markets, there's more of an ability for manufacturers to play with those margins. And the reason they can do that is because the orders tend to be slightly smaller in those markets. So the person buying the, the battery racks doesn't have the same negotiating power as, say, a large automaker who's ordering kind of multiple gigawatt hours of batteries each year. So is the activity you're seeing in the sector, you know, translating this talk of margins and falling battery prices, is that translating to expansion or consolidation in the sector? Yeah, that, I, I, another really interesting one. And I think it's a bit of both at the moment. So we definitely have, um, we're seeing a lot of expansion from lots of different companies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we're seeing Chinese battery manufacturers leaving China for the first time, building plants here in Europe. We have uh, the South Korean companies who have been active in the US for a while, uh, building plants in Europe now, have been for the last couple of years. So we are seeing that expansion. There's also a huge number of companies within China who are would be considered kind of tier two manufacturers. And they've managed to really blossom thanks to the EV sub subsidies in China. That being said, subsidies have been stepped down in 2019. Um, they were meant to end in 2020, but they're being slightly delayed, I believe now. And what that means, though, in general, as those subsidies are stepped down, we expect there will be consolidation because suddenly a lot of those companies in China won't be able to support themselves. But that will be the tier two manufacturers rather than the big players like CATL. Um, you know, Pharasis is another one who's building a plant in Europe and has contracts with Daimler, etc. So in preparing for today's podcast, we had a lot of material to pull from. We've got some models. We've got some research notes. What's the name of the model you tell everybody? So we recently uh, updated our bottom-up cost model. Uh, and I was sitting there trying to think of what's a nice acronym to, uh, to use for that. And I was thinking, okay, it's battery manufacturing. And it came to me like that, the Batman model. Lightning. Lightning. So any BNF users out there listening, if you want to find the model on BNF.com, you just search it. Batman model. With two You'll T's. Get it. Batman, right? Double T. Double T. Battery. Mm. There you go. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Mark, Dana, thanks for having me. Anytime. You're a pro. 
Bloomberg Any App is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg Any App should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.